Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi everybody, welcome back once again. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King from King Creole Sports. Andy Isco joins us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Vegas, and our good friend Jim Feist, the living legend in Las Vegas, joins the show as well as we're set to go against the spread on this week's college and pro football cards. And, Victor, we got quite a card this week, a lot of college football games on tap. NFL is getting down to the nitty-gritty portion part of the season here. Anything you saw last week in the world of college football or the NFL that caught your eye? You know, this is, uh, for some, uh, they consider this Thanksgiving weekend the best football betting weekend of the entire calendar year. And I wouldn't argue against that, that's for sure. You know, we got NFL games now naturally on Thursdays, but now we got that Black Friday game. We got a full slate of games on Sunday. Uh, not to mention rivalry week in college football as well. So it's really something to look forward to. I know that a guy who's looking back a little bit, uh, who's really, really delivered a uh, November to remember would be the guy here on my right here, uh, Mark Lawrence over the weekend. I'm not sure, Mark, but I think this may have been your best Saturday, Sunday weekend of the entire season. Mark Lawrence preferred picks seven and one overall. That's nothing. Five-star college football game of the month winner, Washington Huskies. Also in college football, Maryland plus the points against Michigan, who was potentially looking ahead. That one cashed. Memphis plus the points uh, against, uh, that was SMU, I believe. UCLA, who covered against the, uh, and won outright against USC. Turn the page over to Sunday. Five-star NFL game of the month, Cleveland Browns over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Arizona Cardinals covered the number against Houston. And Mark even wrapped it up with a, a Monday night winner, Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl rematch. Mark, a November to remember, that is for sure. But I'd be willing to uh, bet, pun intended, that there's more where that came from. Well, I certainly hope there is, Victor. I didn't want that weekend to end, that's for sure. I slept like a baby uh, over, the, over the, those couple of days. And uh, a little tossing and turning here right now as we're getting our newsletter together as we're speaking now. But our newsletter has just been put together, available online at playbooksports.com, where you can also pick up a copy of the Totals Tip Sheet and talk about passing out kudos. Victor, how about the Totals Tip Sheet and what a nice run the Totals Tip Sheet has been on? Right. Not to mention, Mark, we have got a first this week in the total tip sheet. You know, we've done this for 14 seasons now. This is the very, very first issue in our 14-season reign in which we have not one, not two, but three over-under selections in the same game. We call it our same game, totals, triple play, and uh, that's what we're promoting this week in the total tip sheet newsletter. Yeah, another winning week now, eight and one with our best bets in the last three weeks. Thanks, Mark. Awesome. Great job, Victor. As always, 
I know a lot of people really look forward to reading the totals tip sheet. Uh, I got a couple of friends of mine who I pass it along to. And, and uh, <laughs> when I know it's hot, I mean, I get emails like, do you see the totals tip sheet? Yeah, where's the totals tip sheet? <laughs> so those are all good things and good points and a good time of the year to be hot. No question about it. Victor, you mentioned about it being rivalry week in college football, and we've got some certainly big rivalry football games on tap. In fact, our college football game of the week is one of those just same rivals. I'm going to bring in Andy Isco and Jim Feist as we talk about our college football game of the week on tap. And Andy, I guess people down south think there's nothing better for a rivalry than the Iron Bowl matchup between Auburn and Alabama, which we'll talk about. But then there's some people like Victor and I from Ohio who think the Ohio State-Michigan game might be the best rivalry in college football. What is your take, Andy, when it comes to what you think is the best rivalry game in college football? I would say, for me, it has always been Ohio State-Michigan, maybe because as I was growing up in my formative years, that's the one that was always promoted highly, especially when you had Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler, legendary coaches going at each other each year. Uh, Auburn and Alabama, not quite the same because you really had Paul Bear Bryant for Alabama for all those years. Auburn was a nice program, but didn't have, and it still doesn't really have the kind of history that Auburn does, even though it's a very fierce rivalry. So for me, it's generally been Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, there are other rivalries that I like, I, you know, the Bedlam Bowl between the two Oklahoma states and uh, Oklahoma, Texas every year, but uh, on a lasting basis, Wolverines and Buckeyes, and uh, I enjoy it. Uh, like I say, even even with those legendary coaches near, you know, gone for quite a while now, their successors have maintained the intensity and uh, pageantry of that rivalry. Well, Jim, Jim, I gotta say this: that uh, when it comes to handicapping football games, I love rivalry football games, and maybe they're not quite uh, as special now as they were perhaps even five or ten years ago because they were really highlighted and accented five or ten years ago. Now they're just sort of part of the schedule, if you will. Uh, but when it comes to handicapping these games, uh, I feel myself personally that uh, we have a couple of added advantages here because you've always got an underdog who's got a chip on his shoulder, or almost <laughs> always you do, and uh, also can be a spoiler in a role like that. How does that uh, persuade you when you look at these rivalry-type football games, Jim? Uh, do you take uh, advantage of those dogs that are looking for revenge, or are you looking to put your foot on the pedal of a favorite that's looking to pull away and do well, better maybe in the playoffs? You know, I think well, years ago, of course, they were they were much more meaningful because we didn't have the national exposure that, that we have today for everything. And uh, but the 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 uh, revenge factor is a big factor when you got teams that play all the time. What's happened the last year? These kids remember the school remembers the the student body remembers, and they want to they want to go out there and kick some ass and 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 get get a piece of the other team that just beat them especially if it was an ugly game. So I, I think that that matters a lot. I mean, a lot of these these kids, uh, young adults, that played against each other through high school and grade school, and they know each other. Of course, now we got the nil and the, all the other stuff moving around. So it's all changing because of that. But in the old days, it was more meaningful because they all knew each other, and they played against each other at different levels. So Revenge is a big factor, and it, it, it's always played a big role for me. Well, growing up in Ohio, as I mentioned here, uh, we had the legendary Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler, and that's where the battle began. And uh, I told my wife the story of when Woody Hayes played a game in Michigan, they lost. He was so pissed. The driver of the bus told him that 
Coach, we need to get gas. And he says, we're not buying any goddamn gas in the state of Michigan. <laughs> and he made him drive the bus just barely almost into Toledo and the, ran out of gas. And the players had to get out of the bus and push the bus over the border into Ohio. That's how, <laughs> how emphatic Woody Hayes was about that's that that rivalry football game with him in Michigan. So that's Great the part story. my wife remembers is pushing the bus over the border. <laughs> the, the other anecdote I remember, and I, I think it was in the late 60s, and I don't remember which team it was, but they won the game going away like 51 to something or other, and they asked either – it was either Woody or Bo. They said, why did you go for two on that last touchdown? And the response was, because we couldn't go for three. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. And the great stories when you're talking about college football rivalry games. And let's get into our college football rivalry game on tap this weekend. Uh, we've got the Iron Bowl on tap. I mentioned here Alabama playing Auburn. And, Victor, why don't you start us out with maybe from an over-under perspective on this game? Because I know we're going to be able to tear apart the side of the game pretty well. How do you see the up and down going in this game? Well, you know, the uh, uh, over-under line, what opened at 49 here, the Iron Bowl is kicking off at, what, 3.30 Eastern time. Always good television uh, viewing. It's come down about a half a point. The last time I looked, they were down to 48 and a half. Of course, Alabama, one of the better over teams this season. They're 8-2 and 1. That's eight overs, only two unders, 80% over the total. One of the better over teams this season in college football. Not so much for uh, Auburn to struggle on offense. Uh, obviously, in conference play. In their 11 games, four overs, six unders, one tie. So pretty much a uh, right down the kind of middle team in terms of the total. Uh, what I'm looking at in regards to which way we're going in the game is let's take a look at uh, Alabama's entire season. You know, they started out the year uh, after two games, two and two over under. Of course, the home loss to Texas was low scoring in those first four games. But since game four, Alabama's last seven games have gone 6-0-1 over under. They've really, really come out of the gate smoking on offense. This is not quite the great defensive team from the Crimson Tide that we are used to in the past. And in that 6-0-1 over under record, uh, not only are they, you know, a perfect 6-0 to the over, but the average margin of those games are, is plus 9.1. <laughs> so we're not even close here. We're talking about an average margin of almost a full 10 points per game in their last seven games for Alabama. Uh, during that stretch, they've averaged, what, 35.8. They've allowed 21.2. That's right around 57.0 points per game. Auburn has kind of had some similar numbers. They started out the season one and three over under. But again, since game four, Auburn games have crept over 50. They've averaged 52.0 points per game, uh, 27.5 on offense, 24.5 on defense. So again, for both teams, they've been over 50 points for the better part of a two-month period now. And if we take a look at the series history, Last year's game, the over-under was 51. They combined for 76 points. In fact, the last five meetings of this Iron Bowl series have averaged 68.6 points per game. In that stretch, Alabama has averaged 42.6. Auburn, 26.2. I know 
This is not a typical Auburn offense, but I just like the fact that the series history has been that high scoring. Based on the um, point spread and over-under line, the implied score is Alabama 31.5, Auburn 17. We got it a little bit higher, more in the area of maybe 34 to 20, and that takes us into the mid-50s. So right now, we'll call it a one-star opinion on the over, as we've seen many, many Iron Bowls in the past go over the total as well. Victor leans over the total in the Iron Bowl, Alabama-Auburn showdown game. And Andy, let me ask you this question about this football game here. And this is a little bit of something unique in the game. And I used to apply this a lot in bowl games when a lot of teams were out there. Uh, the end of the regular season was not quite here, but some teams qualified for a bowl game, a lot of military teams, and they had accepted bowls before their final game of the season. You know, sort of you have a bowl bid in your back pocket type thing, and those football teams I don't feel kind of as focused in their games because they had already had the whipped cream on the pie given to them. In this Alabama-Auburn game, Alabama's already in the Southeast Conference Championship game, and I know they're playing to, to, to make it to the playoff uh, because they're a one-loss team, uh, which is important to them. But how much of importance do you put in stock, the fact that Alabama has got a ticket in the SEC game does it take any at all away from their matchup with Auburn this week? Well, you know, it, it's an interesting question because you wonder, given the recent history, Auburn's been their perennial big rival. But now maybe we should start thinking about Georgia being the big rival for Alabama, considering we're talking about excellence and these teams seem to routinely meet for the SEC championship game season after season, season with uh, Kirby Smart, of course, uh, former Nick Saban assistant, having outstanding success with the Georgia Bulldogs. You wonder what Alabama's attitude is considering uh, what I was pleased with last week, and that was their uh, Auburn's upset loss outright to a very good New Mexico State team. Uh, you wonder what that what that does to the psyche of Auburn as well as to Alabama. Might Alabama perhaps take it a little bit lightly? You know, uh, Auburn is, is – in, in years past, I would have felt stronger about Auburn's ability on offense to do things against the – uh, the Alabama defense, but Gus Malzahn, the coach, he's supposed to be all about offense. That's his history. And yet this Auburn team has really struggled really since, uh, you know, who was the last great quarterback or solid quarterback they had? Bo Nixon. That was several years ago. Uh, I don't know that Alabama can do anything but handle Auburn pretty easy because let's keep in mind, despite all the other things surrounding this game, it's still a recruiting battle for the best talent in the state of Alabama and surrounding states. And uh, Nick Saban knows the importance of winning those recruiting battles because he's won most of them in recent years. So I think they're in a better position to have success in this game. It's still a rivalry game. And again, we may look at things from the outside, as, as I just described. The coaches may look at things from the outside, as, as I just described. But when they're talking to their players, they are stressing the importance of winning this big game that they look forward to, that the entire state looks forward to since the end of last year's game. I'll, I'll correct Andy on one thing there. You know, Gus Malzahn's off and gone uh, at UCF, but it's now Hugh Freeze. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hugh Freeze, who had the, the thing, went back in Ole Miss and Liberty. Exactly. Thank you. Thank hey, you. Jim, let me, let me ask you this. Now, Auburn's coming into this game. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they were tarred and feathered last week. Uh, <laughs> they, they laid 25 points in New Mexico State at home and got beat. Are you kidding me? And beat bad. Yeah. So what, yeah. what sort of psyche, I'm going to ask you, do you think that 
puts in the Auburn player's mind? And also, does it also maybe uh, let Alabama think that this team is completely beatable? If they couldn't beat New Mexico State, they can't beat us. How do you think that they approach that, the Auburn players, after having been beat so badly last week? Well, first of all, the Auburn players are probably looking ahead to this game because this is this is a big game, the rivalry. Uh, but, you know, Nick Saban has one thing in his mind. He likes national championships. And the only way he's going to get that is to get into the playoffs. So I think he's going to go out there and he's going to bury this club. I think, and they're capable of doing so. And now they're not not—they're not the same team they have been. They don't have the defense they had been. But uh, Nick Saban doesn't – he wants to get in that playoff. Now, can he get in the playoffs? You know, yeah, politics – and they, they choose who they who goes in, uh, it's possible, really possible, especially if he just lights up the scoreboard. And, and um, that's, not, you know, SEC football, Nick Saban, Alabama, they, they, most of the world thinks that they belong in the playoffs, even though they don't have the record. So the one loss, they, they got to put up the points and they got to, they got to score some uh, style points, if you will. Let me let me throw this in there as well, Mark, because this is an interesting question. Let's assume that for sake of argument for the playoff, Ohio State or Michigan is going to go, whoever wins the game and assuming they beat Iowa, which is, you know, they'll probably be nice double digit favorites in that game. Let's say Washington completes their unbeaten season and wins against uh, Oregon uh, again. Uh, Let's assume that Florida State without uh, without Travis, the quarterback, let's say that they handle Florida very easily, especially on offense, and then win the uh, game against Louisville, you know, by scoring 40 or more points. So you really would say, uh, you know, if you're the committee, yeah, we would consider not putting Florida State in there, even though they're unbeaten. But if they have those impressive efforts with the backup quarterback, you'd have to sort of say that. Now, let's say Texas wins the, uh, uh, the Big 12 title, okay, with still only one loss. They will have beaten Alabama, okay? Let's say Alabama beats Georgia. And so the decision now comes down to Alabama, Georgia, or Texas for the final uh, spot. Would they take perhaps Georgia, even though Alabama beat them, because they can't take Texas over Alabama because the public wouldn't accept it, even though Texas won at Alabama? Oh Andy, God. I think you got the opening <laughs> chapter in a Ripley's Believe It or Not situation. My head hurts just well. thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was well done, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Victor, let me ask you this. Uh, when when Auburn invited New Mexico State to come in and play and they gave him $1.85 million as a thank you, uh, we used to term that the, their name changed from Auburn to Auburned after that football game. Uh, do you think that the Southeast Conference scheduling these nondescript games, the second to last game of the season, hurts or helps these SEC teams when they do things like bringing New Mexico State and these uh, lower non-line football teams in in the later part of the season? It's, I think it hurts. It's a black mark in the SEC. Uh, and it's not just, you know, who Auburn scheduled. It's the fact that most SEC teams schedule an FCS opponent yes. in that second last game of the year, like Alabama did last week. Uh, uh, who, who was it that the uh, Alabama played last week? I Chattanooga, totally... UTC, right. Oh, right. Okay, you're right. UT Chattanooga in that particular game. Uh, I think 66 to 10 was the final score. The only thing I'll add from that standpoint is that there is a great over the total angle that I finally lashed on to last week. And 
it won't repeat itself again till next season. I don't know if it will because we'll see what the brand new SEC schedule will be next year. But in these FBS versus FCS late season games, if the over underline in the game is within 13 points of the point spread, these games go over the total at about a 70% rate. Now, in that particular game last week, Alabama, I believe, was favored by like about 45 points, and the over-under line was about 55 points. And the game went over by 21 points. So that's something I latched on to in terms of totals. When an FBS plays an FCS team, and the difference between the uh, point spread and the over-under line is 13 points or less, you always go over the total in those games. No good point, Victor. Mark, I'm going to just answer your question about why they schedule or or why they do that. The SEC understood like 20 years ago how you advance your chances of making it into the college football playoffs. Because let's say LSU, for example, let's say that they are ranked number five and they're playing an FBS team or yeah, an an FCS team uh, in the middle of November. Meanwhile, you got Oklahoma playing a ranked another ranked team. You've got Michigan playing another quality team. If one of those teams happens to lose, it's a, it's it allows that SEC team who because they're playing such an easy foe to naturally move up because the team ahead of them lost. And they've been doing that probably for about 20 years. I think it dates back to the went to when they went to the old BCS computers and all that. That's how you made up ground because you're getting a win, an easy win while one of the teams ranked ahead of you, maybe against another highly ranked team gets a loss. So you, what you're calling, Andy, is chicken shit scheduling <laughs> by the That's SEC. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm calling it. Okay. A little bit more politely, but yes. Okay, I understand now. <laughs> uh, uh, before we move on to our pro game here, guys, my thought on this football game is this. We talked about rivalry games and the importance of what they mean to everybody, but you've got a, a, two extremes going on in this football game here. Not only do you have uh, – a rival dog playing with revenge, which is a situation you want to almost always look at if you can make the case. You've got Hugh Freezing off the worst point spread loss in his career. He got beat by 46 points to the spread in that game against New Mexico State. Now, you know things have to improve for sure off of something like that. But what I found interesting in our database is that if you look at the series here, a lot of the series games were played on neutral sites, but now they've gone to home and road games. And the home, t- the home team in the series is 5-0-1 to the spread. And uh, when uh, they Auburn has revenge and is at home, they're 3-1 and one straight up and against the spread. So you know, they played really well taking advantage of a true home field in a situation like this. And with I'm going to go back to my point here. With Alabama having that back pocket SEC all locked up in that championship game here, I just don't think they come with the intensity that they would have if they were even hungrier so. I will play Auburn plus the points on this embarrassed rivalry dog in this football game. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where I failed to mention earlier that on Friday nights, it's minus 105 juice for everybody as a member at uwager.lv. You can play all your football games all weekend long on Fridays at minus 105 juice. And also at uwager.lv, you can get 75% free play bonus and 125% casino bonus. All you need to do is log on at uwager.lv or give them a call at 1-800-UWager to take advantage of all the bonuses they happen to offer up for you each week. 
And with that, guys, let's move it over to our National Football League side of things. And, you know, we're looking over the card this week, and uh, there wasn't really a glamorous card per se. And we got a couple of good-looking games with a couple of winning teams playing each other. But uh, we're going to go out west where the uh, L.A. Chargers, who I feel have a head coach that might not be a head coach there next year, is going to be on uh, national television, a primetime game here Sunday night when the Chargers play host to the Baltimore Ravens. Victor, how do you see this playing out? Do the Chargers ignite their offense, or does Brandon Staley finally go back to what he was before, a defensive coordinator, and play a little bit of defense with the Chargers? Well, that would sure be nice to see for those of us who are planning to bet the under in the game, but we're going to uh, hold off and wait this one out. It opened at around 45, the Ravens and the Chargers, the Sunday night game. And, folks, it keeps going up 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 47 and a half yesterday 48 this morning as i'm looking at the odds right now there's even some 48 and a halves everybody's betting the over in this game and for a lot of reasons i don't blame them i mean if you ask me right now who's got the worst defense in the entire nfl it's not denver who is statistically the worst because they really improved on defense in the last month of play the broncos it would be the la chargers what, allowing 394 yards per game. So I can certainly understand the action and the activity on the over in this game. That's why I'm going to wait till it kind of tops out, and then I'm going to come in on the under in this game. Uh, obviously, sharp totals betters, they're very, very aware of what's been going on in the NFL prime time, the night games this season. Uh, with the Sunday night game last week and the Monday night game last week, both going under the total, the primetime games now are 8 and 27 on the season, eight overs, 27 unders. The Sunday night game specifically has gone 2 and 9 over under with an average of only 40.2 points per game. Not only are we favoring that primetime under situation, but the fact that the this is one of the few games this weekend in which the road team is favored. And we've talked about these games all season long since the beginning of last year. Any NFL game in which the road team is favored have gone 53 and 105 over under. Uh, I got a tightener that's gone 2 and 18 in the same period for all road favorites of less than a touchdown if they're playing off a straight up an ATS win like the Ravens are and they're taking on an opponent off a loss like the Chargers are. So that is a 90% under the total situation. And finally, Mark, the Ravens have a bye week next week. I can't ignore the strong under results this season. NFL teams, the week before their bye week, have gone 5-21 and 21 over under. Wow. Five overs, 21 unders. Again, I can understand the fact that folks are jumping on the over in this particular game. So let's wait it out until it tops out, maybe at 49. Maybe it goes all the way up to 50. But at that point, Mark, we're going to come in and play the Sunday night game under the total. Victor goes under that total in the Sunday night football game between the Chargers and the Ravens. And, Jim, let me ask you this question. Victor mentioned about that big 5-21 and 21 total in the NFL for teams who have a bye week scheduled on deck next week. Now, how do you look at this? Do you look at this because uh, it's been – uh, really an under year in the National Football League. And then when you look at the under year and then you plug in the fact that 
uh, because we knew there were a lot of unders. And how do teams that are on bye weeks do? They're going to plug in nicely into that. Do you think it works? It helps that way, or do you think that teams in themselves truly are an underplay before they have a bye week? Well, uh, you know the, these are these are people as well as football players, and when they have a bye week, that usually means they're going to do something with their families. So the focus might very well be different. So they're planning a trip. They're, you know, it's just, it's something different than their normal routine. And for, that's aberrational. We have to try to explain why does that happen. And the only thing I can figure out is that, you know, you could look at it and say, okay, we're going to go out there and really play hard. We're going to put everything we have into this because we're going to rest next week. We don't have to worry about it. But by the same token, these people have a lot of them are married, they have kids, and they're going to plan a trip. So now they're planning this trip and that hotel and that flight, and it and it distracts them. And that very well could be a factor that we never really talk about. I know that I was talking about those. Uh, you know, they were talking about trading Kirk Cousins away from Minnesota. Well, his contract is up; he's going to go somewhere. So, but one of the people I was listening to is you have to remember that these are people that have families. So if he goes from Minnesota to say New England or San Francisco or somewhere, they uproot the whole family, take the kids out of school, and such. Just so we don't look enough at what goes on behind the scenes. These are people in jobs that have a family. They got their parents, their grandparents, their their children, their classmates. They, they have all these things. So. That comes into play. So when you're talking about bye weeks, which is much shorter than having to move away from your family, but it, it disrupts the routine. And anytime you disrupt the routine, you usually lose focus. They're talking about Travis Kelsey and the thing he's got going on with Taylor Swift. And he travels to South America to go to the concert. And that may be the reason he's not didn't play as well the other night and actually fumbled the ball and, and, and dropped a couple passes that were coming his way. Maybe it's a 16, 17 hour flight to Argentina or where the hell he was. And um, these are these are people who live lives and it takes away their focus. They're just like all of us. Well, it, uh, that's a good point you make about uh, especially Travis Kelsey. If I'm a general manager of a team, you know, my first thought is uh, we have a bye week, guys. You're not leaving the country. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And we saw the results of that. Uh, Andy, let me ask you this question uh, about this football game here. Uh, how do you see this all shaking out? Uh, you, you got the two teams that – in the Ravens, you got a football team that uh, has a monster running game. We know that. Uh, they're number one in the National Football League in uh, rushing yards a game and uh, number two, in fact, in rushing attempts per game. Uh, but now you're going to put – and you're going to put that into a charger defense that's really soft at best. Uh, do you look at something like that statistically when you're working up this game, or are you looking at things overall on the season and other factors that are tied into it? I do place a tremendous amount of uh, emphasis on uh, projected uh, expected matchups. And by the way, this just came across, and perhaps Victor explains why we've seen movement towards the over uh, in this game. As expected, the Chargers placed uh, Bosa, Joey Bosa, on the IR list uh, earlier today. Uh, 
So that weakens an already suspect defense, yes, increases the chance. And I would, I, you talked about 50. I wouldn't be surprised if this hits the key number of 51 uh, before possibly people buying back, especially those who may have played uh, the under uh, at the open at a, at a uh, lower number. But yeah, I, I try to look for uh, strength against weakness as opposed to strength against strength. When I find strength against strength, it very often indicates, to me, it tends to l indicate more of an over, uh, excuse me, of an under, as opposed to weakness against weakness, uh, tends to lend itself more towards overs because ineffective offenses will have success against ineffective defenses more often than strong offenses will have against strong defenses simply because of the approach to, you know, strong strength versus strength tends to, I think, emphasize more conservative game plans. Weakness against weakness tends to be more aggressive knowing that the other team is so weak in one area that you can overcome a potential mistake that, caught, that comes from aggressiveness. Real good, Andy. Yeah. Victor, let me ask you this question before I wrap this uh, our game up here. Uh, it's a well-known fact that uh, the Chargers are really struggling in close call games this year, especially games been decided by three or fewer points. They've been in five of them. They lost all five straight up and against the spread. Now, do you feel that's coaching or if it's it's just something that uh, uh, is going to level itself up and return to the norm the other way? Is it more related to Brandon Staley and the Chargers or something that's more likely to go the other way? I would I would have to point my fingers on this is coaching. This is all the coaching staff. This is not a case of uh, things will even out like they do a lot in our database. If you ask me, it's definitely a finger pointing situation at Mr. Staley and his coaching staff. I agree with you 100 uh, percent, you know, sort of on the anti Brandon Staley wagon here, but uh, maybe <laughs> trying to make cases uh, along the way. But that appears to be one of them. Uh, I'm going to be on the Ravens side of the football game, guys, only because they're the better football team. And you basically you had them in a win situation. It's going to be a touchdown or so when they play uh, with all these charger uh, with the Joey Bosa situation and uh, uh, all of the lack of success the Chargers have had. And the fact that uh, Baltimore is a real easy team to be on. Uh, because of Lamar Jackson and the fact that they do put up a lot of rushing yards in the contest here. But, uh, you know, that and the fact that home teams on Sunday nights do not tend to fare well. Our database, surprisingly, they tend to struggle home teams in Sunday night football games. So put me on the Ravens for my side in this football game. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And as always, guys, Jim Feist, our expert in Las Vegas, reviews the National Football League card each and every week. You can watch this week's preview at the YouTube Playbook Experts channel or online at playbooksports.com to see what Jim has to say about this week's NFL football games. Again, when it comes to NFL totals, none better than Victor King from the totals tip sheet. Let's see what Victor has to say about his NFL over-under review and preview for this week's card. Hi again, everybody. It is Victor from Mark Lawrence's Playbook. I am the uh, over-under guy for Mark Lawrence's Playbook Publications, and we're a little over halfway through the NFL season. Of course, we say Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours as we review the NFL from last week and Week 11. We take a look at this week's uh, Week 12 card as well. Again, you know, for a lot of sports bettors out there, this uh, four-day Thanksgiving holiday, it's going to be one of the best of the entire season. Starting at 12.30 Eastern on Thursday, we've got four great days of NFL action, not to mention 
a tremendous rivalry weekend in college football as well. So, you know, make sure to enjoy the football, enjoy the food, enjoy the fun, enjoy the bets, but most importantly, enjoy the time with family and friends because that is definitely by far the uh, most important part of this uh, entire holiday, if you ask me. Now, NFL action. Last week, week 11 in the NFL, you know, for those of us who thought that one decent scoring week in the NFL might open up the floodgates of overs, we can probably think again after an 8-6 and six over under result back in week 10, the results of last weekend all came right back down to earth with 71% of all games once again going under the total that was four overs and 10 games that went under the total for a while there it looked like it might be a a split weekend because the first nine games ended up going four overs and five unders but the three late afternoon sunday games all went under the sunday night game of course went under and the monday night game obviously went under with the uh, great stats for unders thus far in Monday night football. So where are we right now? The average combined points last week were 41.3. That's right about where we are in the NFL these days. The year-to-date results, we've seen 64 overs, 99 unders. That's a shade under 61% under the total this year in the NFL, of course, all of our stats, all of our numbers can be verified in this week's totals tip sheet newsletter as well. The low average for the entire season is 43.4 combined points in the NFL. That is where we had obviously, you know, the most striking or eye-popping situation has been the extreme one-sided over under results in NFL night games. Last week, we saw one go over, which was a little surprising. The Thursday night game last week between the Ravens and the Bengals did end up going over the total. But like what has happened this season, the Sunday night game went under. The Monday night game went under. We've now seen 35 NFL nighttime games this season. There have been eight overs. There have been 27 unders, 77% under the total, all NFL night games this season, only 40.7 points per game. Again, if you are possibly thinking about playing the Sunday night over or the Monday night over, I would caution against that this week. There are a couple of good matchups that indicate once again that low scoring will indeed be the case. Now, speaking of low scoring, this week's low over underlines. You know, there's four games this week in the NFL with very, very low over underlines of 37 or less points. Those four games, Titans against the Panthers, uh, Bengals against the Steelers, Giants versus the Patriots, and the Browns versus the Broncos. Recent results... Uh, from our database, tell us that those low lines are pretty much justified. In the last five years in the NFL, 
all games with an over underline of 37 or less points have gone eight overs, 25 unders. That's a shade under 75% under the total. So those games are usually justified. And again, those four games that I mentioned, don't attempt to go over the total in any of those games. It's either layoff or bet the under with the Titans, Panthers, Bengals, uh, Steelers, Giants, Patriots, and Broncos, and the Browns. There you have it, our review of Week 11, our preview of Week 12. With that said, and before we get back to the Mark Lawrence podcast, we got a free play for you this week. It's a halftime, and it's in college football. We're going to take a look at, obviously, the biggest game of the whole weekend, Ohio State taking on Michigan. Two remaining undefeated teams from the Big Ten Conference. The over-under line in the game is 46. And while I do like the under in the game, the real play, the one that we're going to be betting, is under in the first half. The over-under line in the first half when the Buckeyes take on the Wolverines is 23 points. Both of these teams have been fantastic first half under teams on the season. And that's going to be your free play this week. Under the total in the first half, the number is 23 points when Ohio State takes on Michigan. That game, of course, kicking off at 12 noon Eastern time. That's your free play for this week. Let's get back to the Mark Lawrence Against the Spread podcast. And, of course, like I mentioned at the top of our segment, best of luck this weekend. Enjoy the four-day holiday weekend, and happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. With that, let's move over to Andy Isco joining us for our live lines segment here. And remember, Andy also does a wonderful job handicapping or reporting, I should say, the contests that are all going on in Las Vegas. The big contest, Andy has the rundown available, as I mentioned, on the Playbook Experts YouTube channel at playbooksports.com as well. With that, let's bring in Andy Isco. And Andy, I want to ask you about the major line moves that are on tap this week in the National Football League. Anything that you saw that was noteworthy that you want to bring to our attention, and maybe we'll chime in on some of those line moves if we can. Mute. Andy, you're on mute. Thanks, Mark. Uh, there are three. There were line moves in the Thursday games that uh, uh, may have already been played by the time that many of the viewers and listeners reached that. The most significant one was an, a move on the Dallas Cowboys from a 10-point uh, favorite two weeks ago, the 10-day line, up to a 12-point favorite as we record this podcast on Wednesday afternoon. In fact, I'm seeing it up to 12-and-a-half right now. Uh, the uh, Detroit-Green Bay game saw a significant move in the total. For those uh, who are listening to this early on Thursday morning, the 10-day uh, advance line, 44-and-a-half. The reposted line on Sunday, 45. It's been bid up as of Wednesday afternoon to 40 47 and a half. So a lot of people expecting scoring to be done in that first game. Not much significant line movement in the third of Thursday's games. In the game between Miami and the uh, the New York Jets, um, Black Friday, 
Uh, the 10-day advance line, which was posted a week ago Tuesday, November 14th, had the Dolphins a six-point uh, road favorite at the Jets. Following Sunday's action, that game was reposted to seven. The game actually was bet the Dolphins up to as high as a 10-point favorite before coming back down to where the Dolphins are still favored on the road this time now or currently now as a nine-point road favorite. So a lot of sentiment for the Dolphins on the first ever Friday uh, Black Friday NFL uh, football game. The total also has seen some movement. From a 10-day total of 43 that was reposted to 42, the total dropped to as low as 40 in the Jets-Dolphins game, and that moved up to uh, uh, 41 as we uh, record uh, this uh, podcast on Wednesday. But let's talk about the games that will be played Sunday and Monday. And perhaps the most significant move occurred because of the injury to Joe Burrow. When I say move, it was really an adjustment, and this is something that's worth taking a look at from a couple of perspectives. Uh, last Tuesday, before these games were played last weekend, the Bengals were installed as five-point home favorites over the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the total was 41. Now, the game came down on Sunday. It was reposted Sunday evening after we knew about Joe Burrows uh, being uh, lost likely for the season, certainly for uh, the uh, the game uh, this, this week. The line opened at Pickham, and the total, which had been 41, opened at 34 and a half, nearly a full touchdown move, slightly more yeah. than the adjustment on the side, which begs the question of why do we often not see moves in the total commensurate with moves in the side? Or actually, I should phrase it the other way around. Why does the total not move when we see a side adjustment of, say, a point or two? You would think that those points are coming from somewhere, that you should see at least a similar move in the totals, although the totals often move just a half point to a point. Now, that line, as I mentioned, was reposted as uh, uh, the Bengals pick them. Uh, they've since been bet up to two and a half, and then large amounts of money came in on the Steelers to the point now the Steelers are actually one and a half point road favorites. So in effect, that early adjustment, not move, the early adjustment of six and a half points on the total from 41 down to 34 and a half, which is gone up slightly to 35 and a half has now effectively been offset by the adjustment from a five to a pick em to now the Bengals being an underdog of a point and a half. One of the more interesting line moves that we've seen in recent years where we've seen both the line and the point spread side Andy, show a significant adjustment. Andy, let me ask you, um, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers changed their offensive coordinator. Now, they've been pretty awful offensively all year long. So they fired their offensive coordinator, which they probably should have done seven, eight weeks ago. But they did it anyway. Now, who's going to be the offensive coordinator? And I I know the answer because we discussed it before the show. Uh, And I wonder what kind of credibility do we get give to this offensive coordinator situation that they have that they're actually going to be any better than the guy they fired? Well, especially given the fact that the uh, play, that the uh, offensive coordinator is going to be the running backs coach, and uh, I think it was the quarterbacks coach who's going to be in charge of play calling, at least for the short term for the Steelers. So I'm not quite sure. I, I agree with you. I don't know that it's going to make any difference because fundamentally the Steelers have been a poor offensive team all season. That's part of the reason for the firing, but the players are still there, and 
you know, it, it's a it's an adequate to average roster at best. No outstanding individual stars. I'm not sure it's going to make a big difference. I can understand why the total was adjusted down because of the absence of Burrow. I'm not sure I understand the latest move up in the total from 34 and a half where it was reposted after we knew about uh, Burrow being out, why it's gone up to 35 and a half. That's the question. Well, it's prob- that, uh, probably matters. just a number move by, you know, people that look at numbers. They don't even know who the team is. They just bet numbers. But in, in a situation like this, when you look at the schemes, and I follow a lot of people that, that know football quite a bit, and they analyze what teams have been doing. One of the things that Pittsburgh has been doing under Canada, who is the offensive coordinator, is most of the quarterback's passes have gone to the outside, which requires a stronger arm. And it does, he doesn't work the middle of the field very much. And they have some people that could do well in the middle. And the criticism is they, they had no imagination to their offense. And I can't argue with that because they've, been, they've sucked all year long. They win games because of late game coaching by Tomlin. They're able to get away with that. They didn't do it last week. Cleveland actually beat them. But in a game like this, you have a, a quarterback that hasn't really played any football in the NFL since 2018, which is came into the league. And, and you have an inept offense from Pittsburgh with offensive coordinators. Now that we don't even know who the hell they are, what their capabilities are. This is, how do you bet this kind of stuff? I mean, how do you put real money down on this? And I mean, it's a guessing game. My, in, in my opinion, Pittsburgh's in a much better position to win this game and cover it than Cincinnati is because the teams have been together. They have, other than the coordinator issue, the team, the players, and the drop down from Burrow, who is arguably one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league, to what they have now. Browning, I think his name is, um, is, is huge. Well, the other question is, can Pittsburgh take advantage of a Cincinnati pass defense that is allowing 12.8 yards per pass completion, which is two yards above the NFL average of 10.8. So they're right near at the bottom of allowing, you know, I mentioned it almost every week. I've never been interested in yards per pass attempt because you're combining success and failure. I want to know what happens when passes are successful, how much yardage do they gain? And when teams complete passes against Cincinnati, they've been averaging 12.8 yards per completion. Whether or not Pittsburgh can take advantage of that with the uh, change in the offensive coordinators, et cetera, uh, I'm not sure because you still have the same quarterback. You know, guys, I think this uh, this move to this offensive coordinator firing and the new hiring is totally dysfunctional. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come on, you name an offensive coordinator, he's not even going to be calling the plays. You have your quarterback coach calling the plays. It's like, what did you make the move for? I, he was more or less pressured to make the move. It wasn't by design, believe me. He just It was attrition. He just moved some people up. And I think Pittsburgh will, will be as – disjointed or dysfunctional as they've ever been in a situation like this. And I also happen to feel that, and we call this out in the newsletter this week, that this is a rally around the quarterback type play for Cincinnati here with Joe Burrow being officially out and done for the year. Uh, The Browns, we saw a little bit of it last week with the DTR. They rallied around him in his start last week. And I think they'll do the same thing with Browning this particular week. And I don't think you've got a whole lot of uh, to worry about or lose sleep over this Pittsburgh offense. I don't know why it's suddenly going to wake up when we don't even know who the hell the offensive coordinator is. That's you know, there, there's a first. I read, 
I was going to say, the reports I read was that Tomlin made this decision on his own without consulting upper management, etc. The guys, the Steelers need to get out of the 80s or the yeah. 90s or whatever time period that they are living in and join us here in the new millennia. You know, the Pittsburgh, <laughs> they're the only team in the entire NFL where the offensive play caller is neither the offensive coordinator or the head coach like it is for 31 other teams in the NFL. Canada had to go. You know, in the three years he was offensive coordinator, yes, Pittsburgh went 24-19-1. They were a winning team in those games. But they ranked at the bottom of the league in most offensive efficiency, uh, uh, efficiency uh, offensive points per game. They ranked number 28 over a three-year span. Total yards per game, number 28. Yards per play, number 30. Again, uh, some of these great numbers look good if we're talking about NFL football of the 90s, but definitely not the NFL uh, league as it's currently constructed here in 2023. Well, let's do this, Andy. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of we can talk about this Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game, but uh, let's move on forward with our line moves, if we will. We'll get a little bit uh, sidetracked there. Maybe we can pick it up a little bit more when we do our roundtable with Greg. What other line moves do you have that you would like to report on? Well, these are the ones that uh, Victor might have a, a good insight into. There are a couple of totals in the Jacksonville-Houston Texans game. The advanced total was 45 and a half. When the game was reposted Sunday evening, the total was still 45 and a half. Since then, we've seen a full three-point move up to 48 and a half for the Jaguars and Texans. And the Rams and Cardinals, that game was posted in the advanced line at 46 and a half. It Opened again at 46 and a half. That one has actually come down a couple of points to 44 and a half. So in other words, what we're saying is, and again, the purpose of the 10 day advance line, I at least use it for an advocate to be looked at as what adjustments are made based upon the results of the next game being played, because you can actually bet these games for week uh, 12 prior to the playing of week 11. So what the lines maker was saying, okay, after Sunday's games, we needed to make no adjustment in the line that we had up in the in the Jaguars Texans total, and then the public moved it up. And in the Bronco in the uh, uh, Rams Cardinals game, they also said no need for an adjustment from what we posted earlier in the week. And yet in this one, the uh, public moved it down a couple of points. Interesting, very interesting. You know which way how you're going to handle these line moves like that, and uh, you know, it just depends. On, I guess it's like beauty in the eye of the beholder, you know, how you're power rating these teams and these players and so forth and whatnot. Uh, anything else, Andy, that you think we should be aware of on the line moves this week? Those were basically the significant ones. Of course, there will be some uh, current line moves. I guess uh, uh, one of the uh, interest, more interesting line moves that the linesmaker did consider was in the Monday night game, Bears at Vikings, where the advance line opened four and a half, was bet down to three and a half. And then when the game was reposted, uh, the linesmaker agreed with that, that line move down to three and a half from his opening number, opened it Sunday night, three and a half. It remains at three and a half. So we haven't seen it go back up towards four, where you could have had it, or four and a half. But we also haven't seen money come in on the Bears to push it down to three. So maybe that's a sign that the public at this point agrees with the uh, agrees that the four and a half was too high, but maybe uh, the three and a half may be just right. Well, we'll see where that settles in for sure by game day. With that, I'm going to welcome in uh, Greg De Palma, our producer. We're going to do our what we call our roundtable here. Greg's got some questions he wants answers to, and uh, we're all open to it. So, Greg, if you will, welcome to the roundtable. All right. Thanks, guys. Want to remind everybody that we are now 
inching closer to our previous goal of 500 subscribers. We're at 496. So keep uh, subscribing to the channel here. And uh, that means as soon as we get to 500, we're trying to get to six. So hopefully uh, we'll uh, return, of course, next week. And hey, you know what? A lot of people are going to be home over the holidays. Maybe they'll be spending a lot of time online. And uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, 600 will be our next goal. Once again, 1,000 by the end of the actually the entire 2023 season, including the Super Bowl. That's our goal. Um, I do have to ask you guys: Are there any uh, are there any Thanksgiving Day trends that you would uh, pick at and say, "Yeah, this is the one that we need to pay attention to the most"? Or have there really not been enough quality trends lately that warrant our, a discussion? Well, I might take a lead on that because uh, I just wrote the NFL games up for our newsletter today, so it's a little bit semi fresh in my mind while I can remember it. Uh, what, what has worked real well in the National Football League uh, NFL games has been surprisingly home favorites of more than seven points. They've really, really played really well, uh, but especially if they're taking on an opponent that comes in off a win. Uh, so look up and down your card. You'll see two home favorites uh, playing on Thanksgiving Thursday that are favorites of more than seven Detroit and Dallas uh, in those two football games. And I think Dallas is taking on an opponent that's off a win. If, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but. Not no. totally not. Or is it Washington or is it, lost? Or Detroit? Who's Detroit playing? Yes, Detroit's uh, Green Bay had a win last week. Yeah. There you go. So Detroit would be in the best of that particular role, and the numbers are really kind of mind-boggling. I'm talking like up in the uh, a 24 and four range uh, for situations like that. That's if laying more than seven points is your cup of tea. It's not mine, but it's at least what's in the database. Victor, is anything you saw as far as Thanksgiving Day trends go? Well, you, you covered the main issue. It is the chalkiest uh, Thanksgiving slate we've ever seen with all three games now at uh, seven points or higher. Uh, it is the first time the Lions have been favored on Thanksgiving since way back in 2016. We mentioned last week how hot they had been against fellow division opponents of course, until they didn't cover last week yep. and that come-from-behind win against the Chicago Bears. But still, we can't still ignore the fact that they have still been very, very good uh, from an ATS perspective in the division play. And then finally, I would throw out the fact that the Cowboys are 1-11 ATS in their last 12 Thanksgiving games. Jack yeah, Prescott, people don't realize that. 1-5 one one ATS yep. as they tend to let the team come from behind in the back door in the second half of the game. What was that line again, uh, Victor? 1-11. I said 1-11 for the Cowboys in their last 12 Thanksgiving games. Dak Prescott 1-5, of course, ATS. Uh, you wow, see okay. multiple different scenarios where they let a team come in the back door in the second half, or in this case, in the fourth quarter of that uh, Turkey Day game. Okay. Of course, the commanders are coming in off, off a game where they allowed Tommy DeVito to destroy them. <laughs> right. Yes, they are. Allowed him to become a legend, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and the new Tommy DeVito's, uh, the, as we get more and more starting quarterbacks that we've never uh, seen before this year. Well, we have seen at least start, and, and that was a few years ago, but we've, you know, we've got Tim Boyle for the Jets. And then you mentioned before uh, Jake Browning um, for the Bengals. Uh, so, 
maybe we're in one of those situations where they're going to rally around uh, these first-time starters. I will say that even though they don't have uh, much credibility thus far, Browning would be the more interesting because they're, they're the better team, obviously. Um, and he also had a very, very good career in college. And so I am very interested to see if Jake Browning can uh, look. He, he, they would get, he he won the job as the second string quarterback. So um, sometimes these quarterbacks just need a little bit of time. And uh, and this is Jake Browning's opportunity. So we'll see if he could take advantage of it. Forget about Tim Boyle. Uh, he's got no chance. Okay. So uh, yeah. Zach's probably going to be laughing under his breath when Tim Boyle runs for his life and, and the players are dropping passes. So uh, what I did notice is that there are five lines this week where a team is favored by between one and one and a half. And 11 of the lines are minus three and a half or under. And I think this is what speaks to the mediocrity that uh, Mr. Tom Brady was talking about just recently. So I don't know if you guys agreed with what Tom Brady said the other day. Oh, absolutely. Andy, Andy, did you break that down any at all in your new in your logical approach newsletter about lines in that various price range? I have in the past as far as I, I look at something a few weeks ago for straight up results. And I think in the past I have broken things down, uh, especially when it comes to uh, playing teasers. You like to take uh, underdogs in that uh, uh, two and a half to, or two to three and a half point range and tease them up over seven and eight. Uh, I don't have the, the current numbers as far as in that uh, one to two range as far as uh, how often that goes. Although I do recall from a study I did a few years ago that uh, road teams in that small underdog role have had unusually strong success on the money line and winning those games, even though they're small road underdogs. Yeah, the theory there would be that if you're, if you're not getting a bigger home favorite, they basically, the road team is basically the better team. So, I mean, you, you got to, you look at this Cleveland uh, Broncos game, one and a half, two. I mean, I'm not going to say the Browns are the better team because they have a backup quarterback. We, you know, played one full game. But that's the, the theory that a lot of people have. If you get a line like that, you're looking at a better team on the road because the home team doesn't even get enough to, sh to make them the favorite. So it's the, the better team is on the road. In that particular case, that may not be the case because the Broncos have played very well lately. As far as Thanksgiving, uh, first of all, do you guys think that the NFL should have at least one or two out of the three Thanksgiving Day games as rematches every year? And... Um, Unusual, of course, that'll be a rivalry. And speaking of rivalries, uh, part B of that uh, question would be: um, Right now, what is your favorite NFL rivalry? <laughs> uh, that's wow. a good question. I guess a lot of that's going to uh, be determined, Greg, by where you live. Uh, you know, what team you follow, who you like. Uh, you know, what part of the country you grew up in. Uh, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, for all you Ohio guys. Yeah, that's a, right. that's a yeah. that's a pretty fierce one. Uh, there's yep. nobody in Pittsburgh that likes the Browns, and like we can almost say the same thing about the Steelers. <laughs> you still believe in the Dallas-Washington rivalry? Well, you know something. If you talk to the people in Philadelphia, you don't because Philadelphia hates Dallas, uh, and vice versa. So, uh, 
I guess it's all who's the new kid in the block and, you know, uh, who, you know, who's the latest, I guess, in that sense. But Jim brings out a good point. I think that Cleveland-Pittsburgh rivalry has been uh, what it is for the longest of time, and, you know, probably because of uh, uh, being two blue-collar cities that are uh, within 90 miles of one another and uh, a, a lot of a lot of history with, between those two series. So that would be my vote. Victor, what would your vote be on any rivalry in the National Football League that you think stands out? I'm a Cleveland Northeastern Ohio guy too. It would have to be a Pittsburgh Cleveland, although uh, Pittsburgh has dominated that series. You know, one of the favorite uh, T-shirt expressions that you see Pittsburgh Steeler fans wearing is is "Buck the Frowns," and if you turn that around, you're really saying "Buck the Browns." <laughs> That's like the old Yankee Stadium T-shirts. I would uh, see the vendor selling "Buck Faustin." Right, there you go. Same thing. You know, I, I would also throw in the Ravens because of the Baltimore-Cleveland historical connection and also the because of that, too, the Ravens and the Steelers. We always talk when that game comes up. Well, it's a three-point game. If you can get plus three on either side, just take it year in and year out, especially since, and again, you've got in that situation – Harbaugh and Tomlin, who have both been coaching for 15 plus years, those teams. So there's a lot of recent yeah. history for the current generation of, 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 of relatively new uh, fans. But to, to Greg's other part of the question, I'd like to see a lot more, uh, let's say, interconference elite matchups. Now, you don't know before the season starts who's going to be the best teams. You have a pretty good idea, but AFC versus NFC. And of course, now on Thanksgiving, and I don't know if it's going to change anytime soon, well, Dallas and Detroit are going to host, uh, you know, two of the games. But now with the addition of the Friday game, it presents an additional opportunity in addition to the Thursday night game to, A, have one of those attractive matchups, or B, and again, this may be difficult, and certainly the fans involved for the guest scheduled games, but the NFL has started in recent years to start flexing games late in the season if all of a sudden a team expected to be great becomes a dud and they're scheduled to show up in prime time. Why not use that? Maybe by the middle of Thanksgiving, middle of October or certainly by Halloween, there's enough time to say for the NFL, for the fans involved, we're going to move a game from Thanksgiving weekend Sunday to uh, the Thursday night game on Thanksgiving because both of these teams are much better than we uh, than we expected or there's uh, maybe some other aspects of intrigue that would justify such a move. Hey, Jim, let me ask you this. Uh, we have Black Friday in the National Football League now. What chance is there that the National Football League will discontinue Black Friday in the NFL? I think we're going to see it for the rest <laughs> of our lives. I thought you were going to ask if they will have it for a doubleheader on Friday. Right, yeah. doubleheader. Oh, that would be too. a BOGO, a Black Friday yeah. BOGO, yes. Right. Oh, by the way, I, I just went over that stat of the lines. So 11 lines, three and a half or under. So get this. There's only one game being played on Sunday that has a line that is over that. All of the, in other words, all of the prime time games, the three Thanksgiving Day games and the Friday, those four games coming up on Thursday and Friday, all have the large lines of the week. In other words, it's like the biggest mismatches are the games on Thursday and Friday that are supposed to be the holiday games that everybody's going to want to be interested in. So yeah, we have, then we have mediocre Sunday, right? Right. The only other game with a huge point spread is that uh, Chiefs Raiders yes, game. That's it. Right. Yep. yep. Everything else is uh, mediocrity, but at least more competitive. But those are the games that nobody's going to be able to watch unless you're uh, in, in your specific uh, region. Okay. So um, I wanted to ask about whether or not 
because as a Jet fan, there's a lot of people wondering whether or not Robert Sowell will make it to next year. So I'm already thinking about, okay, well, who would I want as head coach? There's only two guys that I would want as head coach. So I want to ask you guys what you would think about either one of these, because I think these are going to be the two hottest guys. And which one would you choose? Jim Harbaugh. I know Mark is going to choose him. Or Ben Johnson. So you've got Ben Johnson, the hot offensive mind of the Detroit Lions. He's going to he's the sexy, absolute, everybody's first choice, but he has no experience as a head coach. Or do you go to Jim Harbaugh, where you know he's got experience, you're probably going to win, but he's also a little bit older. How's he going to take to the NFL? Which way would you go if you were an NFL GM slash owner? Would you go Jim Harbaugh, or would you take the chance with Ben Johnson? Jim, who do you like? Without a doubt, Jim Harbaugh. He has head coaching experience in college and pros. He's done. He's been successful everywhere. Ben Johnson's doing a great job, offensive coordinator. But jumping from any of the coordinator positions to head coach is a different job. Yeah, a lot of different responsibilities. Uh, instead of your own little lane that you're in, now you have to cover everything, and you've got to give. Uh, a lot of power away in certain areas and not everybody delegates well they can and it does happen but with Harbaugh you've got a guaranteed win and he knows how to do it at both levels pro and and he's been a player so pro college player I mean he's the guy Victor well I think the uh First off, it would depend on what is going to be our makeup on offense next season, the Jets. Is it a done deal that Aaron Rodgers is coming back next year? Or, or is it year. not? Or is it not? Uh, ben Johnson may not want that job if he does not like the makeup of the New York Jets offense. I would say Jim Harbaugh, uh, particularly if they give him uh, pretty much total autonomy. I, I know that the Jets – best seasons over the last 20 years were probably the Rex Ryan years. Uh, Adam Gase didn't do much. Todd Bowles didn't do much. So uh, give uh, uh, Harbaugh full power, and he may bring back a couple of those glory years that we saw with Rex Ryan when they made two AFC championships, I believe. I'd like to jump in and say a little bit about the Jets. Um, I think a lot of these kids that come out of college – I mean, they have potential. That's why they draft them. And I think they go into the pros. They usually go to a bad team. If you're a good player, you get drafted one or two. You go to you go to a bad team. And a lot of times, the structure is terrible. I think the structure in with the Jets is absolutely awful. I think got got a defensive head coach. You got an offensive coordinator who has not been successful in that position anywhere that I can remember. Um, you brought Aaron Rodgers in, and who does he bring with him? He brings Cook and Bob. I can't remember all the names. Alan Lazard. Lazard. These are all has-beens. They're not at the top of their game, and they're all paid a lot of money. Uh, their offensive line is horrible. Uh, they don't run the ball well. <laughs> they don't block the, the, the you know, for the for the quarterback. It's, you know, I'm not saying that Zach Wilson is a superstar, but I know damn well if he went to a different position or a different head coach, like maybe Minnesota with an offensive coordinator who knows what the hell he's doing or a head coach who knows what the hell he's doing, 
they would be better than they are in a situation like that. And I think that the coaching in the NFL is so they're, they're so interested in keeping their job and not stepping out of the box too much that they're ruining potentially talented people that come into their their group. And I think that's one of the things that I'm not saying that Zach Wilson will even be a good backup. Sure, we don't know. Yeah, I'm saying that, but I do not think. In a developmental league, which is what we have now, probably nine or ten teams, it's a developmental league for their quarterback for sure, and their offensive lines are even worse than that. They don't have a chance. And that's why we have the kind of league we have is because we've got a lot of old thinking. The structure is built with a lot of old thinking, and we need some new minds to get in there. I mean, you look at some of these teams with the better offensive coordinators, better head coaches that are offensive-minded, they do a much better job than some of the crap that we're watching. Well, that's why I I'm brought gonna... up the combination, Andy, of Ben yeah. Johnson versus Jim Harbaugh. And Jim went with Jim Harbaugh. And yet he just talked about how the league is going to the high, hot, you know, young coordinators, which is Ben Johnson. And again, I don't want to look at this as a jet thing. Look at it as a more as a league thing. If you're just a GM out there and you're looking to hire a head coach, which one would it be? Because you're going to have your pick of the two, I think. Well, I'm going to answer that in a moment because the first thing I'm going to say is I don't believe Robert Sala is going anywhere. I, I agree. Season, I agree. Their season was over when Aaron Rodgers went down on that first series of the game, and yeah. yet the Jets have managed to go four and six with with a quarterback whom they had basically a either given up on or said you're two years away from uh you know you're going to learn behind Rodgers. Yeah. You know, they had a five point loss to the Patriots, a three point loss to Kansas City, and they had a uh, a four point loss uh, at the Raiders uh, in uh, Antonio Pierce's uh, uh, first game as interim coach for the Raiders. So I can't pin much of the blame on Robert Sala now. So I think he's going to be back, uh, likely with Rodgers. Zach Wilson on the hand. Another story. They uh, may just jettison him after, pardon the pun, jettison him after the uh, uh, the season. But uh, to answer your question, I'm gonna. I would ch also choose Harbaugh over Johnson. But the other name I would throw out, and he consistently comes up, and yet we've seen his impact reflected in Kansas City. Eric Bieniemy. The Kansas City offense is nowhere as aggressive, is nowhere as uh, as dimensional as they were when he was the offensive coordinator. He's done some good things in Washington right now, but remember, it's his first season with a quarterback in Howell, really making his first, uh, uh, basically his rookie season as far as being a starting quarterback goes. So there's a name that I would throw out, and I might throw him out ahead of Ben Johnson, given Bieniemy's experience before and after uh, Patrick Mahomes. Well, the pro I think that's spot on, Andy. Spot on about the, the Eric Bieniemy situation and the problems and the woes that Kansas City has and is going through right now. They cannot find points, generate points in offense in the second half. It just so happens to be that Eric Bieniemy is no longer there. Uh, Andy Reid on the sidelines, if you're watching him, he looks lost. He looks like he's not even calling the plays half the time. He's got somebody else doing it. I think he totally misses Eric Bieniemy. Not that Bieniemy called plays; he never did. But at least he was the offensive coordinator on this on that football team, and that's totally missing this year. The the, the, the thing though is is that Bieniemy has had countless interviews, and everybody just keeps wondering, Victor, this, this, what's wrong? Uh, especially because he is uh, he's coming in. You know, he's a black head coach, so as a minority, you know, 
NFL teams are are I mean they're looked at as this is a plus. You hire minority head coach. He you know you, sometimes you don't even have to be as good as the other guy, but something's wrong. Something's wrong with those interviews, and I'm not sure that's going to change any. So maybe Washington is the only spot that he gets the head coaching job or opportunity. And he deserves it because it looks like you know Ron Rivera, who may last the season, who knows, but uh, this is probably his last year. So Vietnam would make the logical choice there uh, to take over as head coach, and he deserves it as well. If we want to uh, uh, continue that to its logical conclusion, you know, Mark mentioned the Chiefs in the second half of their games this season, Kansas City's. Zero and ten over under. All ten games have gone under in the second half. They're the best second half under team in what's been a, a great under second half season. They're the only team that has yet to go over the total in the second half of their games. And a larger that has to do with the lack of Kansas City scoring in the second half of games this year. Most of it. And the improvement of their defense, Andy, as well. Yes, yeah. They yeah. haven't scored a point in the last three games in in the second half. That's correct. Uh, yep. um, there's I'm... other coaching jobs that are likely to open up. Frank Wright in, in Carolina has done a terrible job. Right, he's on the edge. Staley should have been fired two years ago with the Chargers. I mean, there's other jobs that potentially will open up. And... Harbaugh might have his choice of where he wants to live, where he wants to move his family, if he wants to leave Michigan. But I think somebody might pay that guy $50 million if they want to win. And David Tepper, who is very wealthy, very successful hedge fund guy out of Carolina, or, uh, Panther, with the Panthers, uh, might be just that guy. Yeah, I'll, uh, Are you, you, you know, I, I want to say this, uh, Jim, about – David Tepper uh, and what's going on in that program, you know, Frank Reich's not the answer. Uh, and if there's any one person I think David Tepper should fire is David Tepper. <laughs> Especially after watching CJ Stroud just rip this league apart and Bryce Young looking like, uh, he, you know, he belongs in another level. I mean, my goodness, you know, he's small, he's scant, he's not moving the offense. Uh, no, it was, and it was all Tepper's decision to bring him in. Yeah. He was insistent upon it. Who was uh, Frank, who was Frank Johnny Reich in Manziel favor of? With Cleveland. Who picked Johnny Manziel to go to Cleveland? Who, who picked Johnny Manziel? Some yeah, bum off the street was the guy. That's what I heard. Some drunk off the street is what I heard. You know, I'm not sure, Andy, uh, who insisted on Bryce Young uh, or what, whether or not Frank Reich gave that stamp of approval. I think he did not, but I think it was all Tepper who insisted. Yeah, yeah I, I was, think Frank yeah, Reich was a, wanted yeah. Stroud. Yeah, there was right. a lot of yeah. There was a possibility of that, absolutely. And 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 there you go. Maybe Ben Johnson, you know, maybe he's the guy that you talk about Harbaugh. Maybe Tepper decides to give Ben Johnson a lot of money if Harbaugh isn't the guy because you got your quarterback here, and you got your Wiz's offensive coordinator. Yeah. So that might be the best fit, right? Um, college. I just want to ask a few things before I let you go. I got. I have to ask you guys. Obviously, Michigan, Ohio State, Andy. 
I like Ohio State uh, for a, a number of reasons. It was one of the games I actually uh, wrote up this week. Of course, they had that long uh, history of domination over Michigan until the Wolverines won the uh, past two years. So you do have that double revenge factor in play. Uh, I think that the other thing I like about Ohio State is their conditioning. They have often started slowly in the first half and then really caught fire after halftime. So that's a combination of being in condition and making uh, uh, adjustments. Uh, de- both defenses are, are outstanding. I like the balance on Ohio State. And it just seems to be with the distraction that Michigan is having. And you also wonder, and I you know maybe we're making too much of it, but maybe there was something to the uh, teams knowing Michigan signals. And that's why maybe they had that success against uh, Ohio State the last couple of years after being outplayed by Ohio State and losing all those games in a row. I'm not to say that's a, uh, that's a factor because we really don't know. But we do know that it has been a distraction for Michigan. And, in fact, I heard uh, something uh, earlier today, I believe, uh, with the quarterback play of, uh, of Michigan, how uh, – uh, they uh, had to, he had some struggles with Harbaugh not on the sidelines the uh, last couple of weeks. So you wonder. Uh, I, I have to believe that Harbaugh's presence will be, or in this case his absence, will be impacted on the way that game flows. Mark, we'll talk more about this on uh, on the college football show that you and I uh, host on our lads YouTube channel on Friday. But uh, do you have any uh, take on the game here? Well, you're looking at, uh, again, a rivalry situation with a big double revenge chip on Ohio State's shoulder here. Uh, and I think what's awfully distracting is the fact that Jim Harbaugh, that whole situation, the ugliness of it, and the fact he's not going to even be on the sidelines in this game, that cannot be at all beneficial to Michigan. And all you need to do is look at uh, how far down J.J. McCarthy has dropped in the Heisman Trophy race. Uh, his He's disappeared is what he really has. He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass since October 21st. That was against Michigan State, and that was the last game that Harbaugh was on the sidelines. So he's missing Harbaugh terribly, J.J. McCarthy. I think the Buckeyes have got a good chance in this football game. Victor, you have a take? Yeah, I got two cents worth. Uh, the over-under line in the game is 46. That's the way I'm looking. Uh, and uh, the uh, the numbers suggest a down-in-the-trenches Low-scoring game. Obviously, Wolverines are number one in scoring defense, number one in total defense, number one in actually in defensive touchdowns. They're second in pass defense. Uh, Buckeyes, uh, number two in scoring defense, number three in total defense. But where I've made my wager in the game, Andy just briefly touched on it, is that I'm not playing the full game total. 46 is a pretty low number for a Big Ten game if you're not involving Iowa. Uh, <laughs> and, in fact, I believe Iowa's over-underlying this week is, what, 26, 25 and a half? Oh, but that's a whole other story. But this is a low over-underlying for a Big Ten game. But, Andy, what I am playing, or what I did already bet, is under 23 in the first half of this game. And you just said it, Andy, when you said – both teams have started out very, very slow in the first half of their games before they gain momentum in the second half. Both teams have brought home the bacon big time in first half unders, and that's the way I bet it, first half under 23. Okay. Uh, <coughs> lastly, I'll throw, I'll throw a stat out at you here, Greg, about that game. Sure. Uh, we, we put this in the newsletter here. Uh, if you go back and you look, uh, there have only been six season-ending games that have been a matchup of undefeated teams. Uh, 
like this is. Uh, and we, uh, you know, a few of them obviously are Michigan and Ohio State, but the underdog in those six games has won five of them straight up and cashed all six times. Wow. Yeah, look, I'm I'm a Michigan fan, and I'm uh, I'm picking Ohio State. So, okay. Um, <laughs> so, I, a couple other quick things. First of all, Chip Kelly does he deserve to be fired? Well, I know there's no, plans I'll, in place. I'll say no because of the, the the improvement that this team has shown defensively this year. Yeah. What's been a very offensive oriented yeah, conference. Be good. You know, that's a. I got to take a little sidebar swerve on this here, Greg. Uh, a good friend of mine is Howard Eskin in Philadelphia, and he's a talk show host there, real popular. And he knows Chip Kelly real well. And we were talking last week about his UCLA game with Southern Cal, and I asked him the same question: Is Chip Kelly on his way out there? He says, truthfully, Chip Kelly doesn't give a shit if he's there or not. He says he's got more money than he'll ever have the rest of his life, yeah. <laughs> and he'll find that another job. Answer. Yeah. So money does buy happiness. Yes, it does. Uh, surprised that the New Mexico State Aggies are only a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Jacksonville State. Uh, I Didn't that line move quite a bit here recently? Uh, I think it did. I think that they're currently an underdog. Isn't that true? Yeah, I think oh, they it's are. going further down. It's a, there's a big move the, the, to Jacksonville the, the, State here. Um, right. Two and a half to three point road favorite now for Jacksonville State. Okay. Something and, must and be they, going on. They must be sitting their quarterback or something. Right. They play at Liberty next, next week, week for the yeah. conference well, championship. That's, what, that's so. what's going on. They're right. they're in the championship they're, game. They're in. Yeah. Championship yep. game. They're, right. they're not going to risk injury. They're, uh, their quarterback was kind of half assed. Uh, doubtful the last two games. Yep. So I'm sure he's probably going to rest, and that might have been confirmation that that New Mexico State quarterback will likely be out of this football game. Do we have a Brady Hoke trend? He's retiring. It's his last game. No bowl. So is there like a trend for retiring head coaches that, uh, or just a, a feeling? Maybe not a trend, but whether or not you think uh, they're a five-point dog over a Fresno team that's playing for nothing after they were eliminated from the Mountain West Conference chase as a 26-point home favorite losing to the Lobos last week. So <laughs> Doesn't uh, he always keep popping up like a, a bad weed somewhere else? Yeah, I'm sure he will. I have not, I've not been able to get a sense of – what the players feel about Brady Hoke, because if they liked him as a coach, if they play hard, if they feel that uh, he still has something to contribute and this is just a down year, they'll go out and play hard for him, which I could certainly understand. And I might prefer that side anyway, given what you said, Greg, about Fresno State and the poor momentum they've had over the last three or four games. You have to wonder. I think they're already bowl eligible, so this game doesn't mean nearly as much as I think it would for a team if they do indeed are not necessarily looking forward to the departure of Brady Hoke. Yeah. And uh, Fresno, I think, is also like one in seven, maybe, against the spread in their last eight, something like that. Some really yeah, bad really, really, At one point, they were a, a top 25 team, Fresno State, maybe like one month into the season. Yeah. yeah they Purdue were falling win. off the map. Yeah. 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 Uh, quick notes before I, let it, before I uh, hand it back over to Andy for his uh, weekly pick. Um, the tiebreaker scenario for the AAC, the Mountain West Conference, and the Sun Belt, and the Big 12. So there's some significant uh, information there. I did a, a video on the R-Lads YouTube channel. I broke all of that down on Sunday, so that's available if anybody wants to check that out. We'll talk more about that on Friday's college football show. Um, but there's some confusing uh, tiebreakers in the Big 12 and a few other ones, like UNLV, if they lose the game, 
to San Jose State, they, they might be out. They're done. They might not even be able to play for the Mountain West Conference Championship. So wow. we'll talk more about that. Um, and I also uh, wanted to, uh, before I let you go, read a couple of comments from our viewers. Um, and I'll do this on a weekly basis as well. Jeff Todd Kob- uh, it's, it's a Kobasiuk. Kobasiuk. Jeff Todd Kobasiuk. I think that's Jeff Kobasiak. Kobasiak. That's better than Kobasiuk. That's our uh, Canadian musician friend. Yeah. All right. Good. I butchered that to hell. Um, anyway, Jeff said great it's just, stuff. It's just, he doesn't know it's uh, Slovenia. That's Kobasiak. Come on, okay. get it right. He said great stuff as always. Thank you guys. And Martin Paradis. San Francisco versus Baltimore Super Bowl, guys. You're getting it free from me today for the excellent picks <laughs> you've given me. So there's signs. Well, he could be right. He could very well. Be I better. would not be surprised if that is betting wise the favored matchup right now. If you were to take yeah. a look at all possible combinations, you're probably right. Probably all right, is. Andy, what you got as far as your pick this week? I'm going to look at the game between the New York Giants and the uh, New England Patriots. Uh, the decline that began with the departure of Brady a few years ago has accelerated as the Patriots stand right now two and eight, following seasons of seven and eight, uh, excuse me, seven and nine, ten and seven, eight and nine since Brady left after the 2019 Super Bowl uh, winning season. Uh, assuming after the season went on to win the Super Bowl uh, that year with uh, uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, Patriots thought they had a suitable replacement with Mac Jones, but he's regressed since his uh, really solid year uh, in uh, the rookie season of 2021. Now, both teams have quarterback issues, but the Giants are down to a third string untested quarterback due to injury rather than due to performance, which is the case with uh, uh, the Patriots. Uh, the Giants have a pair of ugly one-sided losses at uh, Dallas uh, but also a pair of wins over a team like Washington. And is Washington or New England, let me put this right, is New England any better or worse than the Washington Commanders, who, by the way, beat New England uh, a few weeks ago? I, I just cannot uh, justify the New England Patriots being favored by it's certainly a field goal or more, if at all, in this game. What have they done uh, uh, to do that? We've seen, and, and Jim touched upon it earlier, I, I don't know if it was during our show or before, about the fact that with each passing week, it's looking more that Belichick was made more more by Brady than vice versa, because Brady, even though he's out now, he he had success uh, before he finally retired, whereas Belichick has struggled. You wonder with Belichick being in the game as long as he has, if he still has the same energy and enthusiasm that he brought with him when he first took over at the at, at the Patriots. You know, through all stages of life, you tend to lose that uh, that energy and enthusiasm. Uh, so I'm looking at the uh, uh, at 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 the uh, pay at the uh, Giants rather as getting the straight up win in this game. DeVito, this is be his fourth start, his his fifth game action overall. He's shown some signs of improvement now in the game where he mopped up against uh, uh, the Jets and then started against Vegas. He was 17 of 27, 174 total yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. But in his last two games against Dallas and Washington. 22 of 53, and much improved there, 332 total yards, which is not a great total for two games. But he's also had five interse- five touchdowns, rather, just one interception. So he's getting more comfortable with uh, being the starter. The one knock on him, uh, he's uh, had uh, 22 sacks in his brief young career. The, la- the lessening of that concern 
New England Patriots have only had 18 sacks through 10 games this year. So they may not be able to put the pressure on the Giants that other teams have. And you have to believe one of the focuses as DeVito gets more comfortable with the offense and having suffered all those sacks is that there's been a great emphasis in preparing him for this week and going forward uh, by uh, making some adjustments in the offensive line to give him more time. He's never going to be, I think, anything more than maybe a serviceable backup, but he's gaining confidence and gaining experience each week against a team right now that has real sorts of issues and concerns with the starting quarterback position. Eddie, what do you think about the total in this game, 34? I can't look over, but I can't play that number under. I mean, this game does have things like 17, you know, 13 written on it. Uh, but, you know, it just takes one one defense, one turnover inside your own 25-yard line or one big special teams play to create uh, a, a, you know, a touchdown that can't be uh, f- factored into the handicap. And, and uh, a 20-17 to 17 final score, and the game goes over. over. Goal. The Giants did get a pick six last week against Sam Howell. To score on defense as well, Andy. So you're right about that. There's no margin for error whatsoever. And the and there's two places low. with 33 and a half. Yeah. Right. Right now. Yeah, just went there. Well, is anyone considering playing over the 25 and a half, 26 in the Iowa Nebraska <laughs> game this week? It's the same thing about this Patriots. I mean, you'd like to, the first look towards games like this is often the under. But as we've talked about in past week, and Victor knows. Scoring is down, so whereas we're seeing an under 33 right now in that giant, or 33 and a half, back in September, this matchup, all things being considered, might be 38 and a half or 39. Right. Or might have been. Victor, Victor how far down are, is scoring in the NFL this year? Uh, we are at, let me see here, I got the numbers. For the season, we're at 43.4 points per game. We were about 45 and a half last year. Uh, last week specifically was 41.3. It was the fourth lowest scoring weekend of the season. And again, if you thought that we may have more overs and unders based on the fact that week 10, the previous week, had eight overs and six unders, we were sadly uh, mistaken. The weird thing is, is that it was in f- the four games that did go over last weekend in the NFL were four division games, yeah. which are usually, as you guys know, lower scoring. But the four overs last week were actually in four different division contests. Now, by, by the way, Victor, I did not notice, but maybe you have or have it in front oh of you. God. Those four games that went over, did they go over by significant margins or may have been just been two or three points, which might have reflected a, a uh, the – tendency towards lowering totals this year and those games might have stayed under uh, had they been played in September and they were three or four point higher totals. It's a good point. The official record last week was four overs, 10 unders. You would think that would lead to an average margin somewhere about minus three to minus four, but the average margin last weekend was only minus 1.3. So you're absolutely right. Those four division games that did go over uh, unbalanced the numbers, if you will, Cincinnati, Baltimore scored 54 points. The over-under in that game was 46. Uh, the Giants-Washington game, the game in which we were on the over, they scored 50 in that game. The over-under line was only 38. It went over by 12 points. The Chicago-Detroit game had 57 points scored in it. And the fourth game that went over was the Tennessee-Jacksonville game, another game that went over by double digits as well. So, so it had he, nothing to do with the lines last week. They just no. happened to go over. 
They just happen to go over and by big margins. Hey, guys, let me jump in here. Uh, We're going to set a record here for uh, the length of our show here. In fact, (laughs) we're going to push our five-hour lunch that uh, we had in Vegas, Andy, Jim, and I. uh, On the show here, so it's going to start to look it. like a snack. Yeah, <laughs> so we're going to have to put the pedal to the metal here and uh, wrap this thing up. Here. Right, uh, let's Jim, get out of here. Yeah, Jim. Before I let you go, any final thoughts you have on the football card this weekend? Well, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of uh, questionable quarterbacking uh, going on this week, but but I uh, I do have a couple of spots that I do like. Now this this I'm going to toss this one out. It makes it kind of makes no sense based on what we've talked about. But Pittsburgh, I'm, I'm going to take a chance and say Pittsburgh made a positive move by getting rid of Canada, and they're going to do some more inside passing by the quarterback, which is going to open up that picket pickens uh, situation and take advantage of those two guys, which I think has more potential than when, what we've been able to get out of Canada, who is throwing only outside routes. Now, I'm, I'm not a genius at this, but if you listen to guys that are like uh, you know, Cosell or somebody like that, it analyzes this. There's a lot of people that understand what they have not been doing, and they have more talent than what's been shown. You so know, sounds like- we, look at the, we look at the Bengals with a quarterback that has very limited NFL experience, with an offensive line that is not that strong, and they don't have the quick release of a Joe Burrow, uh, to, in in the accuracy of him, which is absolutely incredible talent that he was. I think Pittsburgh's the right favorite in this game. So you like that picket Pickens Express is what you're going to like there, Jim. I think there's a tremendous amount of potential there. Tomlin stood in the way of changing Canada. I understand his loyalty and all that, but he's got a job to do, and that job is about winning games. And uh, he didn't do that to, as well as he could have. But they do have a winning record. And with the, with what's going on in that division – this team could actually make the playoffs because Cincinnati probably won't. And uh, there's a question mark with, with uh, Cleveland because with the Browns, yeah. quarterback. So they could easily make the playoffs. Okay, guys, uh, I'm going to let uh, Andy and Jim go here in the show so we can put the wraps in the show. Great job as always. I appreciate all your insight, guys. Really, really informative information. Best of luck to you guys this week. And Happy and Thanksgiving. Healthy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you guys, too. Uh, Same me and lay off that pumpkin pie, if you will, okay? <laughs> All right, let's turn it over now. Uh, let's. I'm going to share with you my awesome angle of the week before Victor and I get to our complimentary free plays on the show this week. And our awesome angle this week, I call it hat trick, hat trick. And this comes from our Department of Redundancy Department, as Andy so well informed me. Hat trick, hat trick, what does that mean? Well, what it is in college football is a team that is 0-3 straight up and against the spread exactly, and exactly, not a four-game, five-game, 0-3 straight up and ATS exactly. They're coming off a loss as a straight up as a favorite, and they're taking on an opponent that's 3-0 and straight up and ATS exactly. So you got an 0-3 Suez exact off a straight up favorite loss, taking on an opponent that's 3-0 Suez exact. What we do here is we play on these teams here. This team, this angle has gone 18 and seven against the spread. That's 72% since 1990. Our play this week will be on Georgia Southern as a, we're going to fade Appalachian State coming off their 3-0 and Suez record their last three. Georgia Southern 0-3 Suez, their last three, just got dumped as a favorite. Make it Georgia Southern for our awesome angle on the show this week.
Victor, I'm going to turn it over to you now for your complimentary plan. Let our listeners know out there what you've got on tap this week, if you would. Sure, we can definitely do that. We already have a uh, three-star over-under play for Turkey Day, Sunday, and that's up on the website, playbooksports.com, or you can get there from our uh, shortcut, website shortcut. Just type into your browser, pb.buzz, that's B-U-Z-Z, slash V-K for Victor King. We got a big one in the NFL on Sunday, Mark, our five-star over of the month in the NFL. That's already available at the website as well. And to recap, opinion in the Alabama-Auburn over, a stronger two- to three-star play in the Sunday night game under the total, but make sure you top out with that over-under line before you go in and bet the Chargers and Ravens under the total. Uh, pretty strong two-star play on the Buckeyes-Michigan under 23 in the first half. And, Mark, for our free play this week, we are going to go – to the totals tip sheet newsletter, and we're going to play a team total on Turkey Day Thursday. And that's going to be playing on the Dallas Cowboys to score over 30 and a half points in that uh, late uh, Thursday afternoon game. I think they kicked that one off in Big D at 4.30 Eastern. So if you do watch the podcast here, uh, sometime on Thursday, hopefully you can get some of that action in. And I know that Dallas's team total is the highest team total this week in the entire NFL at 30 and a half points. But with good reason, they could basically name the score in this one. Uh, they're one of only two teams in the NFL that are averaging 30 or more points on this season. Not only that, but in their four home games this year, Dallas is averaging 40 points per game at home. In their home games against Washington, Dallas has averaged 34.8 in the last seven meetings. And finally, as big home favorites of eight or more points, the Cowboys have averaged 42 points per game in the last three seasons. The clincher, uh, this is basically the worst defense that Dallas has faced this year in Washington, a commander's team that's allowed 31 or more points in six out of their 10 games, and against the top 24 offenses in the league, a hot one like Dallas, I might add, the commanders have allowed 35 points per game this season. So there you go. Our team total on Thursday Turkey Day is to play on the Cowboys to score over 30 and a half points. Mark, best of luck to you this weekend. Uh, I hope you and Colleen have a great uh, Turkey Day. I know we will with Sandy's family as well. Well, thank you, Victor. Wishing you and yours the best and happy Thanksgiving as well. Best of luck this weekend to you as well. Before I get to my complimentary play, guys, on the card, I want to remind everybody out there that my once-a-year 10-star college football game of the year is going to go this Saturday. You can get it with every college and NFL football play I make from Friday through Monday. Just $129 complete gets everything, including that 10-star college football game of the year. You can log on at playbooksports.com or give my office a call toll-free to get on board at 1-800-321-7777. My complimentary play on the football card this week, we're going to go with the Minnesota Golden Gophers when they play host to Minnesota or to Wisconsin this week. And Minnesota is one of these teams in our newsletter this week. We called it Now or Never. 
And what it is is you've got a handful of teams. I think there's 24 teams on the college card this week that are five and six and all need a win to become bowl eligible. So this is indeed now or never time for those teams, and this Minnesota being one of them. Take a look at Wisconsin. They come in here. They earned their bowl stripes last week. Uh, they had a seven-point win over Nebraska despite being outgained in the game, 354 to 307 yards. So they're happy despite the fact that they played a rather phony inside-out game. Wisconsin's also 0-6 straight up and 1-5 to the spread in their season finale games the last six years. For the Minnesota Golden Gophers, like I mentioned, they're 5-6, and six and they're anxious to dig their way out of their hole and into a bowl with a win here today. They're 8-1 against the spread. Minnesota is as a dog after dressing up as a dog the previous game. Also 18-6 to the spread when coming off consecutive losses, 9-1 straight up in ATS in that role at home. With P.J. Fleck, their head coach, 6-2 to the spread and as a dog in his career in season finales, we're going to make Minnesota our complimentary play on the show this week. And by the way, guys, look at the Playbook Football Newsletter. There are a total of three teams playing this week that are 5-6 and six that are playing other teams that just clinched bowl eligibility last week. You want to find out who those three teams are because I think you'll catch at least two of those three tickets all inside the Playbook Football Newsletter this week. And that's going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, and our good friend Jim Feist, the living legend in Las Vegas, for all their contributions on the show this week. Wishing all three guys and all of our listeners out there a very happy Thanksgiving and a safe and happy Thanksgiving to you and yours as well. Until next week, once again, Mark Lawrence, reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always. 